0: Welcome back to The Gavel and the Gavel. It's me, Harry. I'm based at Windsor Auctions. And everybody, he's back. He's back. He's back. Back from where, Harry? Where am I
1: back from? It's Simon from Lyme Bay Auctions in deepest, darkest, glorious, summer-blessed Devon. Where where am I back from, Harry? We don't know
0: where you've been, Simon. We don't know where you've been. We've had a couple of best-ofs. While you've been having some well-earned time with your children,
1: I have indeed. Thank you for your support, and uh, sorry for the lack of
0: podding. Is that a verb? I I believe podding is a phrase now. Um, So, uh, how have you been? Well, I know how you've been because we did—we spent three days together doing auctions. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, We've been to—I have taken my children uh, to the
1: big smoke, to the city, to that beating heart of this country, Exeter. (laughs) <laughs> oh no. But before that, we went to London. We went to London and my little country mice, Max and Charlie, my little country mice raised in Devon, they walked the paved streets of gold that is London. They sat on the eye and they
0: looked down on the great capital
1: and they were in awe and said, Daddy,
0: why can't we live here? Just quickly on the subject of your uh, your trip to town, um, shout out, I believe, to horrible, History's horrible histories tour horrible of
1: histories. the River Thames, which was, bless her, your good lady wife's suggestion. I hadn't thought of it. Well, I hadn't come across it. Ah, what a fantastic, two magnificent actors on board, uh, literally playing out. Uh, I think it's. It must have been close on an hours worth of play in which we sailed up and down the Thames and they gave us all the horrible histories of the beheadings and the plague and the fire of London and the history of the buildings. Now I expected to sit back um, with a good book and let the children enjoy it. Oh my goodness, enjoyed it immensely. Absolutely superb. A show, history, um,
0: culture, background, funny, entertaining. Brilliant. Well done, Ems. There you go. Shout out for the Horrible Histories Tours of the Thames. Um, if we annoy David enough, we'll make him clip up a link to their website <laughs> <laughs> in the
1: episode. <laughs> oh, dear.
0: What are we doing today, Harry? Hang on. Before we go today, I need to tell you something. Oh. Um, storage facilities. Yes? Yes. Right. I have been to the largest big yellow storage facility I've ever seen. Wow. One locker over 1,200 square foot floor, big. floor space. That's huge. Uh, unbelievable. And when we opened the doors, the team all looked at me and went, No warning. <laughs> I said, I just wanted to get your reaction. <laughs> because? Uh, no, it's just one of our clearances for a lovely customer. But oh my life, I've never seen such a big room. That's all I'm going to say about it. All uh, right. Uh, more to what follow. We, what, yeah, more to follow. Uh, what are we doing today? Today. Uh, we're back uh, with, um, and I think I mentioned it in uh, the last Best of Pod, we're back with Matt Ball. Who is Simon? What does Matt do? He is the editor of the
1: ATG, which is the Antiques Trade Gazette, which, good people of our podcast, is the only piece of literature you need on a weekly basis to bring you up to speed with everything that is Antiques, auctions, collectibles, trading, the marketplace, the people. It is the one place to go. Matt is going to tell us where are the best places to unearth hidden gems, hidden antiques in and around your
0: house. Stay tuned. And also, he's got an offer for our listeners. Yeah, listen till the end of the pod. We are delighted to welcome back one of the Antique Trade's major influencers, the man with the red pen at the ATG, the Antiques Trade Gazette. It's Matt Ball. He's back with us. Hello, Matt. How are you? Hello, Matt.
2: Hello. Hello. Good to see you, chaps. I'm very well. How are you? Well, I'm very well. Simon's
0: had most of the month off, as you're aware. So uh, apparently I've done no work at all, Matt, nothing. So I'm just here to have a
1: chat and then back on the beach, really. That's how this works, apparently, down in the southwest. Um, And you, bless you, are interrupting your family holiday time to come and speak to us today. So thank you for Matt. That is really kind of you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Wouldn't miss it for the world. And I understand you've had some good news at home GCSE related. So I don't know if you want to give a shout out to your magnificent daughter and her results.
2: Oh, Katie. Yes, no, she's done. Extremely well with GCSEs, and uh, we're very proud of us. So uh, eights and nines, and lots of great results. So,
1: which you had to explain to Harry and I, the O level brigade, mm, mm, <laughs> before this interview started. Well, congratulations, Katie. That's fantastic news. And it seems yep. on this podcast, we've got a very proud dad, and quite rightly so.
0: Yeah, congratulations. So, following up on uh, our your previous uh, trip uh, to the pod. Um, have you got any updates for us on uh, bits and pieces that you were doing we were talking about things that were being launched on the sale room that sort of stuff uh, there was a messaging service am I right I remembering
2: yeah yes yeah. so uh, well firstly thank you for for having me back and uh, congratulations on all your shows I've been uh, listening to them and uh, like your other listeners uh, enjoying them greatly so uh, long may they continue and uh, yeah, last time I was on, we were talking about a number of things, including uh, an SMS service we were launching on uh, saleroom.com. Uh, that's the uh, platform where uh, you list your auctions as auctioneers and uh, our bidders come along and bid online on them. And uh, well, that's launched and been doing uh, very well. We've got about two thirds of the entire bidder base is enrolled in it now. Uh, very good open rate. And the point being uh, you sign up to bid at an auction and then you get a, an SMS reminder on the day. So just an extra little prompt to come back and uh, and uh, get bidding um, and if uh, as that brings more bidders uh, bidders to your auctions then uh, that's a that's a good thing um, and in other news um, still busy doing lots of good things with timed auctions and towards the end of the year uh, we'll have a function out to enable you to list your time sales both on the Serum.com and uh, live auctioneers live in the US which we run. And uh, you can run the sale on both platforms at the same time, again, enabling you to uh, reach as many uh, bidders as possible. Oh, that's
1: fantastic, isn't it? So there are still two timed auctions, obviously,
2: running simultaneously on the two platforms. Have I got that right, Matt? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's the same sale running on, on, two, on two marketplaces at the same time, effectively.
1: Now, that's a fair bit of technological integration you've, uh, you, you've managed there.
2: Yeah, the, uh, the, the uh, development team's always very busy uh, bringing out new, uh, new features for bidders and uh, auctioneers, and uh, that's one of them. And perhaps content-wise, it's also interesting that um, Live Auctioneers has its own content service called Auction Central News, uh, where they have some writers um, previewing and reporting on uh, auctions that take place on Live Auctioneers, and uh, that team's now joined with my uh, Gazette team, so we're all one team. Uh, because in some cases we were finding uh, Auction Central News was writing about a particular auction, and so were we. Mm. When you're part of the same company, perhaps you need only write about it once
0: <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: share it, uh, share it across your share it across your platforms. Um, for the Gazette readers, I think this will be interesting though, because we're unearthing things that are being sold in America that are actually of interest to bidders worldwide, not. You know, not the kind of niche Americana stuff that you, you see at uh, in some US auctions, but items that you know may have come across the Atlantic some time ago and are now resurfacing at uh, American auctions, and we'll be bringing those back into um, the gazettes uh, the gazettes coverage a lot more as we now have a team kind of rummaging through all those auctions and unearthing them and uh, reporting on them. So. Um, uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. What do you think is the
1: big difference between sort of uh, American auction houses and UK auction houses? I know that's a really broad question, but I, I don't have a huge amount of experience of the American auction houses or the regional auction houses. Have you got any thoughts on that, Matt?
2: Sure. I mean, in some ways, you might see them in a similar vein. There are there are very small local players servicing the local uh, the local communities, um, and then you have regional players who occupy a more fine art niche and are you know getting consignments in from a much larger community and have particular expertise in particular fields and do uh, extremely well um, and okay they're not based in New York but um, uh, they do uh, you know heritage in Dallas for example is known as the big uh, big collectibles player amongst other things but it branches out into into other categories. Um, and uh, you, you see a lot of these specialisms in, uh, in these firms, which uh, makes for a very interesting and diverse, uh, diverse market, I would say.
0: I think it's going to be really interesting. And I think that once uh, sellers in, um, or people consigning items to the auctions in, in the UK realise that it's reaching that broader market in an easier way, more accessible for the American market, I think they're going to be overjoyed, aren't they? I think they're going to really enjoy uh, and watching a time sale, as I have to do. Um, it's um, it's quite fascinating. The one stat that we had a, um, a meeting with um, somebody involved in the time sales uh, sale room recently, the one stat that we found quite amazing was that over 50% of the bidding on a time sale happens after the item is meant to have closed. So for our listeners, people that aren't aware... Uh, the advantage of the sale room technology is that there's none of this sniping you find on other uh, online platforms. If, it, if you bid in the last nanosecond, it extends the lot 10 minutes so you get a proper auction feel. But I mean, we had a sale that was up for 10 days and fifty over 50% of the bidding happened after each lot was meant to finish. Um, and they're all staggered. It's really clever. Um, and then you get that auction feel, so you get the excitement of the sale. So uh, I think yeah, it's going to be really good.
2: Yeah, and that's a nice. It, it's a nice feature. It's also really good you're getting your time sales up nice and early. By the way, it gives uh, uh, gives the bidders the longest chance to find them, and then you'll get more bidding uh, towards the end as people rush in. But yes, uh, uh, avoiding these kind of last second um, snipes, which you can't react to in the time available, and instead, yeah, uh, you know, the default is it'll prolong it by ten minutes. Uh, but you can you can sell it to what to what you like as the auctioneer um, does uh, add a bit of excitement to it, but also make sure that it goes for the fair market value. Yeah, it protects everybody, doesn't
1: it? I think it's really clever, and it is interesting that you call it a time sale. Yet, actually, at the last minute, it turns into a live online sale. So, as Harry says, you still get that whole buzz. Of the auction experience, wouldn't you say, Matt?
2: Uh, I, I think it's quite a lot of quite a lot of fun to see that uh, taking place. Obviously, the advantage for you as the auctioneer is you don't have to spend all day on the rostrum uh, conducting the sale. At that point, I'm sure you keep an eye on it, but uh, enables you to you know do run other parts of your business. Um, and uh, uh, bidders are very familiar with all this online you know, bidding and how to do it. Um, and uh, it, I think it works very well for everyone.
1: Uh, it is a
0: fantastic feature without a shadow of a doubt, Matt. Really good. And, and the, what was the other thing we learned, Simon? You have to end them on a
2: Sunday, Sunday night. What's, what's
1: the sweet spot? Sunday Seven night. something like that is the sweet Matt's spot. Matt's nodding. Very
2: good. You've read, you read that article I wrote. Cracky. Good show. <laughs> <laughs> we
1: paid great attention to everything that you write, Matt. You know that.
2: Yes, I do. I do all
0: All our time sales end on a Sunday (laughs) evening because we don't want to interview you. And you go, why are you ending your time (laughs) sale on a Tuesday? What's the matter (laughs) with you?
2: Doing a good show, that's fantastic, and that's exactly how how you should be doing it. And uh, uh, well, you're you're, you're seeing yourselves; it's uh, it's leading to lots of uh, leading to lots of extra bids, which is exactly what you want.
0: And also touching on one thing that um, there's some so our time sales we split them into two. We do a lot of general sales time sales as well um because there's a different type of buyer and specialist simon did a a vinyl or record sale and those people don't necessarily like the slightly more cut and thrust of a busy sale room and lots of shouting and auctioneers pointing at them and all the rest of it they prefer the more considered approach of sat at home and bidding and so the time sales opened up auctions this is just um feedback from some of the buyers to people who would never have normally um, bought at auction because they don't feel that intense pressure, but they're getting all the fun out of it as well. So quite fun, really.
2: Yeah, yeah. You've got you've got longer to consider the the bids, haven't you? In terms of what I want to do and when I want to do it and when I'm ready, I can place place my bids. But then if I want to come back. Um, then I can join in the action later on. And they're
0: they're scared of Harry. Yeah, apparently. (laughs) Not really. I hope not. Well, I mean, when Simon comes back to work, obviously, uh, they'll be scared of him Sometime never, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) Sometime never. Right. um, So uh, moving on from all the grown-up stuff, um, whilst we were chatting last time, you said you had some fun research that you you guys were doing. And um, the headline on an email we've all shared is, where is the best place to unearth a hidden antique? Yeah, trade secrets, trade secrets—they're coming out now. I'm fascinated. Come on, then. you've analysed recent great finds. It says here, over to you, Matt. What have you found?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, you may know this from the kind of house clearances that you've done and so on. That uh, uh, you need to look everywhere to uh, to make sure you haven't left anything uh, uh, left anything to chance. Um, but uh, perhaps uh, listeners in their homes uh, today hearing this you may want to know where the best place is to find uh, to find that kind of hidden antique that's uh, been lurking somewhere in that home and uh, what we did was we looked at uh, our reports of kind of uh, 100 uh, great finds over the past 5 years all of which were then sold at auction to see if there was any kind of correlation as to where these items were found and uh, in fact Three quarters of them were indeed found in the home. Uh, Not all of them are, of course. Uh, There's been some great finds at charity shops and car boot sales and and so on, which I I can go into. But 75% were in the home, which is great. And of those, half of them were really in four locations. So if you want to focus your searches uh, in your own homes uh, we would recommend the following four places firstly attics and lofts which is the top scorer
0: counts me out matt too big can't go can't do <laughs> your attics and lofts. have to hire somebody
2: in that's okay and then three all at the same level uh boxes and tins always have a good rummage around in uh, everything that uh, has a lid on it uh cupboards and wardrobes And uh, the other one, uh, garages and uh, just outbuildings, if you like, sheds and barns and and so on. These four are really the places to look. Attics and lofts, boxes and tins, cupboards, wardrobes and drawers and garages uh, and outbuildings. And uh, those account for 50 percent of uh, all these uh, hundred finds uh, over the past five years.
1: Matt, you know you know we you know we've just lost all of our listeners because I can just hear loft ladders <laughs> crashing down into hallways. They've all they've all just disappeared. They're all in the loft now. That's it. You've you've done it. That's all right. You can take a
2: podcast with you. That's it's fine. You can I didn't press, know that. It's not it's not live, you can press pause and come back to it. We'll be we'll be all right. They'll come back. Okay, okay. They'll, got... they'll come back for the special offer at the end, I'm sure. Ah, well trailed. Right. Oh, nicely no, drawn. He's in. a
0: professional. See what I did there. He's so good at this that's why he earns the big bucks
1: that's why that's Simon why. if
0: you don't come back I mean it's the Harry and Matt show I'm, lo- I'm looking it's forward to this I'm out I'm, I'm off I'm, I'll just be pumping up the paddle board I'm off yeah
1: yeah oh, off to the sunset oh dear.
2: cool right okay fantastic so that's uh that's that's where you should be looking there are some kind of random places that we might cover as well there it's an amazing thing found in a freezer and so on. But uh, so these, th- these are the four places you, you should start. And perhaps I'll just give you some examples of some of the things that uh, we've reported on that were found in these, uh, these places. Perhaps give your listeners a bit of inspiration. And uh, yes, yeah, stashed in a loft for almost 50 years and then sold for £41,000 a very important piece of entertainment memorabilia, and that was the first ever demo tape of Bowie's um, Starman. Wow. No way. Yeah. Really? £41,000. How amazing. <laughs> Quite why David Bowie was found in a loft, we'll never know, but uh, that's, uh, that's where it was kept. Last year we reported on one found in a French, in a French home, which was um, a tunic, uh, which was made for the Chanel 1922 spring collection. And this was uh, this was found in a French house um, and uh, sold in Paris last year. A uh, hundred thousand euro that went for, so about eighty six thousand pounds. <laughs> Sorry, you can hear me stuttering there. Hundred
0: thousand pounds for a, that's a very early Chanel. Yes,
2: hundred thousand euro. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hundred thousand. When was Chanel founded? That must be towards the beginning, is it? I'm guessing. Yes, it.
2: I'm not. Uh, Quite familiar with the first date of uh, Chanel's first uh, first collection, but uh, I'm sure we were all there for the spring 1922 one, which uh, was, uh, was particularly good. So yeah, a very nice, uh, also very good condition still. Actually, I think that's quite important sometimes with these uh, with these things. Yeah. yeah um, so that uh, that went very nicely. Um, let's move on to uh, boxes and tins. So uh, everything from uh, sapphire and diamond ring, fifteen thousand pounds sold at auction. Uh, very nice looking, very nice looking item box full of all sorts of stuff including costume jewelry and most people will just go oh you know, it's not really worth anything but well worth having a, a look but then of course you need a bit of an expert eye to you know notice the difference between um, something uh, something bulk standard and something uh, something quite special um and uh letters by the duke of wellington's private secretary found in the box 350 quid not quite so valuable but um you know interesting pieces of history that you uh, to you know perhaps someone in your family had some connection to it ends yeah. up Taking in items and then uh, no one's really sure what they are gets stuffed in a box, stuffed, stuffed away somewhere, and um, uh, eventually they, uh, eventually they see the light of day. I'll go on with some more, which I, uh, I really like. Bread bin actually is another one found in a bread bin, and uh, perhaps points to another thing, which is uh, this was the first demo tape of David Bowie ever singing uh, lead vocals was uh, found in a bread bin. So he's, uh, uh, he's been in a loft. And uh, then he's been in a bread bin. David's gear
0: gets around, doesn't it? It really does. I don't know what they're thinking. I'm te- I'm guessing that this is all it was. All in the same house, was it? And they just stashed it all over there. No,
2: this 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 one was a bit uh, bit different. If uh, memory serves me correctly, I think this one was the drummer of the band found it and just stashed it away and uh, brought it brought it back. And, yeah, that was worth the £39,360 hammer wow. at auction. So, he
0: uh, was obviously wheat
2: intolerant, wow. didn't
0: use his bread bin very much. I mean, in, in my house, that's
2: not happening, is it? Because I'm going to be in that bread bin about five times a day. <laughs> but we're still not finished with Bowie Bowie memorabilia. So this one was out and about. This was on a Canadian rubbish tip and uh, stuff's being thrown away. But occasionally uh, the people there recognize this. Oh, this that looks quite pretty. We'll put it aside and sell it for a fiver. So for five Canadian dollars, you could have picked up a painting by David Bowie at this Canadian rubbish tip. And then you would have sold it for 90,100 Canadian dollars at auction. <laughs> so uh, 52,000 pounds could have been yours if you would uh, if you picked up uh, D head 46 by David Bowie. Uh, very nice little earner that one. So uh, you never, you never know where you're going to find these things. I'm off to the tip. I'm
0: loving the, pro- I'm loving the provenance trail on that. You know, via this gallery from
2: David, this gallery here, there, v- and then it was next to a bin. Found it a rubbish tip. Now it's, now it's yours. <laughs> now it's yours. Uh, but authenticated uh, nonetheless uh, by experts in that field, which is great. Uh, but we should come on to garages, outbuildings, and barns, which is one of our popular top uh, top ones, kind of in and around the home. And uh, actually, one of these is yours, Harry—the uh, Louis Vuitton trunk. I think last year was uh, found in a garage.
0: Oh, hang on a minute! Did I make the? I made one of the interesting hundred. I've made yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, Dude, that's it.
2: You sorted. In. Job's done. Yeah, yeah. done. Yeah, Five yeah. stars. If you could
0: put that on the front page, that'd be lovely.
2: Thank you. <laughs> I think it was going to be thrown out, wasn't it, before you uh, before you got involved?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in the. Uh, it, yeah, it was in the, uh, in the in the sort of 2 be got rid of pile. But uh, well, you noticed what it was. Well, I'm not suggesting that I'm a genius, but it was particular. It was mouldy. It wasn't particularly in great con- condition. Or it looked, but it was all sur- um, surface. So we cleaned it up, and uh, off we went.
2: How much did that make? Eight thousand pounds. I'm I'm reliably informed. Yes, eight thousand pounds. Yeah. There you go. I just wanted to milk that a bit longer. Yeah, yeah, there, Matt, yeah. yeah. November, <laughs> November last year, I think it was. But uh, yeah, fantastic find. That. That's uh, uh, really good. Other finds in a garage, there's a Canadian silver tankard uh, found. Um, and it was uh, actually a presentation to one of those um, bare-knuckle fighters, prize fighters, Tom Sawyers. And uh, that sold for £5,000. And then um, a children's car, kind of like a little, I guess, a little kind of push-along car. Um, looked like an old rust bucket, really. You could hardly recognise it as a car some way, some extent, I think, but uh, £8,500. Uh, obviously a very rare model you never know what this stuff's going to be worth and i think it's good to good good for your listeners to consider that you don't necessarily think it might be worth much but there are people out there who do because it forms a, a gap it fills a gap in their collection or it's uh turns out to be something uh, other than what you thought it might be um or you can have an expert have a look at it and um uh, explain to you what it is Um, and uh, then you can make quite a bit of money out of it. Absolutely, Matt, absolutely. And I think it's interesting,
1: isn't it, that all of those things that you've talked about there, they're not the obvious fodder that we see every day coming to an auction house. So people think we use our regional auction house, I want to get rid of my coffee table. Mm. Facebook marketplace i want to get rid of an armchair mm, gumtree um but actually it's the weird and the wonderful that we're interested in it's the it's as you say the things out of the lofts out of the garages it's the potentially rusty pedal car in the corner it's the piece of clothing that you don't know where it's come from it's the jewelry that you inherited from great grandma and have never looked at because it's considered old fashioned that We're looking for it's the weird and the wonderful, isn't it? And that's the stuff in all of the those beautiful scenarios you've painted. It's the weird and the wonderful that suddenly makes you fifty thousand pounds, eight thousand pounds, or a hundred thousand pounds. And that's kind of where the online market is. Would you wouldn't you say?
2: Yeah, I would. And you know, things come in and out of fashion, and you might not think this brooch is particularly interesting, but you know, brooches make a comeback, right? And Um, And things make a comeback for weird and wonderful reasons. I I can't remember exactly, but there was a a lady wore this kind of big, I think it was like a spider brooch during a parliamentary hearing um, a few years ago. And everyone was like, what's that brooch? It's amazing. And then suddenly everyone's interested in, um, you know, uh, uh, an accessory that before was perhaps not deemed quite so cool and fashionable or a celebrity picks up something and does something with it. And then uh, puts it on Instagram or something, and then suddenly a lot, a lot more people are interested in these things that, that perhaps you didn't realise. So, um, and ultimately, there is a market out there for all the, all of these items, and um, uh, your your local auction house will will help you find it.
1: That's right, and with the with the help of the sale room and ATG, the point is is that your granddad's slightly battered Omega watch that you've inherited, which you're never going to wear. And you're thinking you're going to pass it on to your children who are never going to wear it and probably won't want it. Actually, there are collectors out there who would love to get their hands on that watch and would love to refurbish it and would love to, you know, um, cherish it. But they're not necessarily in your local town. And that's when you use your local auction house, as you quite rightly say, to value Uh, to give an appraisal, to use the saleroom.com, to publicize that this item is coming up for sale. A quick SMS to those collectors on the day of the sale means that you maximize the exposure of that item and get the best price you possibly can for it. And that's the beauty of the whole system.
2: Yeah. Uh, and then when it sells well, well, we'll report about it in the following week's ATG. So what's not to like? Huh?
0: <laughs> yes, you'll put Harry and I on the wall of shame. Yeah, exactly. Particularly yeah. if we've got the price <laughs> yeah, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not strictly true because you do talk about the successes and, and not just poking fun at us. Nope. I mean, we've had a recent example. We uh, in a sale a couple of months ago. month ago, Simon and I at Windsor sold um, a U-boat site uh, that had been uh, in a uh, – he just sat on a wall and on a shelf in a guy's study that his dad had left him. He had no no interest in it. He didn't find the imagery, the markings on it particularly appealing because of history, etc. And he brought that into us along with a couple of other bits. And his father, I believe, was an engineer, and he'd collected these things because he was interested in how they worked, but had never ever talked about it because they to him they were just a piece of practical stuff that he looked at every now and again to see how he would make similar. Um, but obviously, we found it, put it into the sale, and it did it did very well because obviously there aren't a lot of U boat sites out there. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, and it's just it's that sort of stuff, isn't it, that you find lurking on a shelf somewhere um that he was just having he was moving house he went why am i moving these i've never opened the box i've peeked in gone no thank you and shoved it back on the shelf
2: yeah and these great little bits of history come out don't they yeah well, there you go what else have we found matt if you want to go outside your home um charity shops can be good quite well no one we reported on a few years ago uh, bought in a charity shop in uh, hertfordshire for a pound uh, uh, turned out to be a, a Qinglong uh, vase with an imperial poem on the front of it, and uh, sold for three hundred eighty thousand pounds at auction, uh, which is uh, uh, nice work if you can get it. <laughs> and uh, library sales can be quite good, and junk shop sales, car boot sales. So uh, we we recently saw a uh, first edition Harry Potter, obviously because it's one of the library copies, It was uh, a bit uh, a bit battered, uh, not in pristine condition. I uh, just bought for a few quid at a library clearance many, many years ago. Uh, that was sold for £10,500 to a uh, bidder on the sale room back in uh, July, that was actually. Um, and uh, Victorian table tennis bat, £3.50 at a car boot sale, sold for £1,000. Oh.
1: I'm not sure I've ever seen a Victorian table tennis bat. I wouldn't recognise one of it smacked me, I have to say. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that says more about your private life than this podcast yeah. should be <laughs> broadcasting.
2: You usually gets smacked with a different sort of bat, presumably, but there we are. <laughs> Bought at a pannier market for £8 was this uh, kind of decorative tile, but turns out to be a William de Morgan tile, and uh, that sold for £3,800 at auction, so... Uh, uh, the, right, the right sort of maker uh, can make uh, a very big difference to, uh, to what you get. Um, and actually, just I think it was May this year, was it? Uh, £20 on two jars from a charity shop. Uh, £46,000 at auction and uh, a couple of chinglong jars there. Very nice. Um, I, it does raise a question, should you share those uh, proceeds with the uh, charity where you found it? But that's really up to the, uh, the finder to decide. And a number of them do, to their credit. Yeah, yeah. that it, that is a slightly
1: murky conundrum, isn't it? When it's picked up from... I know we talked about a, a headdress that was bought from a local Seton charity shop. And it wasn't huge money, but the lady had paid literally a couple of pounds for it what did it make harry was it it was a couple of a 1400 1800 yeah it made proper money it made proper money and there is yeah it's it's quite challenging isn't it from a moral perspective how much of that should go back to the charity should all of it or some of it or part of it very tricky grounds isn't it and sad slightly for the charities that they have missed out on that opportunity
0: i think you steer a path i mean we have a policy do you remember the exhibition at the tower of london with all the ceramic poppies we don't take any of the commission when we find those in the house and we sell we give all that money to the british legion buyers and sellers commission because of our backgrounds um and we feel that that is the right thing to do so we sell them but we don't we don't keep any of them any of our money whether the family what the family do is entirely up to them but the buyers are aware that we're not that there's nobody profiting from it yeah if you see what I mean and I think that's you've just got to steer a path case by case haven't you really I think
2: yes I think I think I think you do um and different people will come at it from different angles so there, there may not be a right or wrong answer to that uh, particular question but I think I think the way you're handling no, it no, I think exactly. it's very that's nice. what I'm saying, yeah. um but yeah a number of these finds um the finder has said yeah I'll share the share the money with the charity and a number of the charity shops actually have their own ebay online little stores now as well for things that they find um to try and reach a wider audience that that way as well so um you know some of these things are spotted which I think is nice yeah
1: absolutely and actually the evaluation day that we did down in Devon recently um a lovely lady from the League of Friends came along um with a bunch of items and they they'd spotted a few nice little so there are some there are some lovely people and good people in those organizations who are capable of you know, or just spotting something that looks a bit more interesting. And they often pop along to both Harry's and my valuation days. And again, they're always sold with zero commission um, because that's the right thing to do. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, always worth a rummage in those charity shops. And I think if you do find something amazing and make a boatload of cash... A little bit back to the charity might be nice.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's right, and I think also these charity shops can form a relationship with local auction houses, and as as, as you're as you're saying in, in your area, and um, you know, doesn't take a minute to just send a photo in and say, oh, is is this any good or not? And, uh, you, know, you 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 get a, you They'll get an opinion back pretty quickly. And um, if, if it's any good, then it can go into the next auction. Can't it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: The important thing is we're getting from this is keep looking in your attic. Don't get me around to do that. We have smaller people on the team who do that. <laughs> um, boxes and tins, cupboards, drawers and wardrobes, garages, outbuildings and barns. And then when you finish with your own house, hit the road and start going to... Uh, I'm loving this list I've got here. Car boot, junk sales, charity shops, all the rest of it. And then a seafood restaurant and a rubbish tip.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the rubbish tip we covered with the uh, the Bowie painting. The seafood restaurant was actually yeah. in um, San Francisco. And uh, there was this enormous vase, just huge, okay, kind of tall as we are. And it was just sitting in the middle of the restaurant for 100 years or so. And, you know, it's a nice decorative piece and formed a nice centrepiece and <clears throat> something that uh, stood stood the restaurant apart from anyone else i guess um but uh eventually uh, a few people worked out what it was and it actually was part of um a, a three-piece arrangement that had been made for the 1893 columbia exposition in chicago and this was the missing the missing one we knew where the others were and uh, it was eventually identified and um then uh was uh, was sold at auction um and 110,000 dollars later uh, it has a new own. You've got to sell a lot of prawns for that. Can you imagine being the owner of that restaurant and
0: going, oh, this wasn't a good week, or you yeah, blimey, you know, it's a bit of a struggle this month, you know, I haven't had enough customers in, you know, it's seasonal or whatever, and you've been stood next to £110,000. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I would just be thinking, how
1: have I not broken that yet? Mm. Seriously, how has that not, you know, it's all gone wrong, a few too many... Cinzano's one evening with the customers and how is that thing still standing he's the luckiest man on the planet surely
2: yeah no they've done, they've done, done very well out of that um, the other one uh, just when you are at home is uh, uh, <laughs> have a look in the freezer as uh, there was this um, uh, house uh, a few years ago uh, just being cleared out to cease the state and all the antique jewelry was uh, stashed in the freezer next to uh, a joint of lamb obviously. And that turned out to be worth uh, 68000 pounds, just in the freezer. Yeah, just in the
1: freezer. Yeah, I love that. Right, I feel slightly sick now because over the years, how many freezers with sealed-up ice boxes have we recycled? Ah, oh, Matt, you're making me feel very unwell now. Very unwell. We've thrown out thousands recycled. I say thousands and thousands of freezers. We cleared a house at the
0: beginning of the year where we got very excited because there was a padlock on the freezer. <laughs> Harry, oh, no, there's no yeah. joke, there's no joke No, there is no joke, no joke. And and so the, the, the gambling was on what was in it And the customer won't mind me telling this joke So there was dead body, crown jewels <laughs> You know, all those sort of things Turned out they just Fish used fingers. it as a deterrent Yeah, they just used it as a deterrent So they didn't open it too often So they had a padlock
1: on it This gamble has never paid off But I don't know, this could be very much This might die a death, this story My father, when we used to go, when we went to Spain, was paranoid about us losing our passports and all the rest of it. And at home, he was paranoid about us being broken into. So his go-to was a Ziploc bag weighted down in the toilet system. They'll never find it there, he said. They'll never find it there. So every house we go to, I check the toilet system. Hasn't paid off yet.
2: But one day. May do. One day. Exactly,
1: Matt. Exactly. Exactly. One day, that's where we're going to find, well, some soggy passports, I expect. That's probably all we're going to find, but there you go. So yeah, toilet systems, people, mark my words, and I want a royalty when you find it. Yeah, top tip. Did, didn't, didn't
2: make our list, but it's great that there are new places yeah unsurprisingly didn't make your list matt (laughs) you can never leave anything unturned that's excellent
0: i've just got a message the office saying check toilet cisterns and freezers freezers. matt says get back in the attic yeah uh, right. Well, as ever, it's been absolutely fantastic to have a chit-chat, I think. Are you right? So, am I
1: right, Simon? Absolutely superb. I mean, just always a mine of information, Matt, and great stories. Um, we love reading the ATG. We love the online. We love the saleroom.com it, it makes our business. Now, you mentioned an
2: offer, I yeah. believe, Mr Ball. We did, and we will see that through. So, uh, f- exclusive for your listeners... Uh, if they would like to subscribe to Antiques Trade Gazette, either the online version or the uh, paper version with the uh, online as well, uh, they can get a exclusive 30% discount by going to antiquestradegazette.com forward slash gavel, G-A-V-E-L, and there's a special page for them there where they can um, uh, take up that offer, and uh, we look forward to welcoming them all as new subscribers. Well, that is absolutely
1: fantastic, Matt. And I tell you, and genuinely, if you have any interest in antiques, the wider issues, um, everything that's going on in the antiques and collectibles world, without a shadow of a doubt, I mean, Harry and I have been reading this for 15, 20 years. And it's brilliant every week and you will learn so much and you will understand so much about how the market is moving, what sort of things are selling, how they're selling, how Harry got the estimate wrong. It's just (laughs) a great read. It's just a great read. So, Matt, thank you very much on
0: behalf of our listeners, because I think that is a marvellous offer. I think it's a very generous offer of you, uh, Matt, and I'm I'm hugely grateful. And um, what I would say is that Simon and I didn't know what the uh, offer was. So that's no. been that's been held um by Matt until the end of the interview um that's that is great news um but what I do really like about it is you've had to listen to everything else in order to get it.
1: So you've earned your 30% I think that's what we're
0: saying. Is what I'm saying.
1: Save the best till last. Save the best till last Matt it's an absolute pleasure to have you on and please Come and join us again in a few months' time with more updates from the ATG, please, uh, because the ATG and your good self are mine of wonderful information. Thank you so much for taking time out.
2: My pleasure. Always great to uh, catch up with you chaps. And, uh, yeah, be delighted to uh, come back in a few months and um, uh, give you the the latest. Fantastic. Excellent. Cheers, Matt. Take care, Matt.
0: Cheerio. Right. How generous was that? Well, that's great. Wow. What a nice, okay. what a nice thing. Well, I'm glad. I mean, that's uh, that's a feather in the cap for the Gavel and the Gavel podcast and all our listeners. And uh, thank you to uh, Matt for the subscriber offer. Where do they find that? Where do they find it, Simon?
1: They find that at the antiquestradegazette.com forward slash gavel and the link is also in the description. I'd also like to point out, ladies and gentlemen, listeners of the podcast, that Harry and I both take the Antique Trades Gazette because it's a fabulous read and it's very interesting. And we're paying full price. Yeah. Do you know what? I did think that when he said that. Was like. Can we not get our subscription? Okay, that would be rather disingenuous of you, Simon. Seriously, Matt, that's a, a great offer. Really appreciate it for our listeners. And if you genuinely are listening because you're interested in this industry and trading, be it a side hustle or your main source of income, If you don't take the Antique Trade Gazette, particularly a 30% discount, you are missing out.
0: Get on board. Now, after recording, we were chit-chatting with Matt while we were doing a bit of admin. And it turns out he's a bit handy at chess. (laughs) A bit handy? I was going to challenge him to a game of drafts. I'm not doing it now. So um, he's got an online chess course. He's represented um, England uh, in various levels. As has, his, as has his children, as have his children. Um, so there's a chess course uh, with a friend of his, Natasha, uh, who's a women uh, international master. Um, and all the links to the various bits and pieces Uh, will be in uh, the uh, description for this episode, which is going to be longer than the pod. We've linked so many things to it. Um, But yeah, fascinating guy. How much of an underachiever are we feeling right now? Oh mate, I tell you this pod's going to be the end of me. I tell you absolute chaos.
1: (laughs) Thank you to Matt for coming on as ever. Fascinating, enlightening and now we're scared of you because you're a chess champion.
0: Yeah, a bit bright. Uh, Right, on that high note... (laughs) See you soon, mate. Check, mate. Oh, love your work.